It's part two of our British singer-songwriters episode, back again with Tom Haig. Tom was previously our David Bowie expert in part one, which was out last week. This time, he's opining about Nick Drake, who he's also made a five-track playlist for, to argue that he's underrated. Bit easier to make a playlist from Nick Drake's output, definitely not as much as Bowie. If sad, fucky good times are your thing, well, listen on, enjoy, see you at the end. Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Was it over underrated? Over underrated. Sous évalué. Over underrated. So, welcome back to part two, and we are now talking about Tom's underrated artist. Tom, take it away. Yeah, so uh, the artist that I believe to be. Uh, underrated is nick drake um i think people who know him love him um but he's not widely known you you didn't know about him did you barbara i i knew the name but i'd never knowingly heard a song of his before yeah. today he he was he was absolutely a commercial flop during his sadly short lifetime but he has his his profile has grown quite substantially over the last sort of 20 25 years there was um a famous uh, us uh car advert that featured one of his songs that um built up a sort of you know us following for him brad pitt presented a um bbc radio documentary on him and i think at the time um you know some 15 years or so ago um heath ledger was interested in 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 starring in a in a biography of of him so it's not completely obscure um, but he's certainly not well known, and so that's why I think uh, he's underrated. Um, because I, I, I think a, a lot more people should know his music, really. Um, and I'd like to, you know, hope that they will continue to 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 encounter it. It's it's only three albums. Um, it's quite a limited out, output, so it's not as intimidating as some people's back catalogue as well in terms of you know where to start and how much time it will take to wade through it. Can I ask how you discovered him? Do you remember? My dad was very into him. Um, had all all three of his albums, like not not original presses, but was was aware of him at the time because my dad was very like into folk music, and he's kind of like a, a folk figure, uh, Nick Drake, or certainly a you know, acoustic singer songwriter. So yeah, my dad, I think just my dad's records. Ultimately, um, he had he had all three of them. I stole them when I went off to university, and. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think I otherwise wouldn't have come across him. Yeah, there isn't much he, there isn't much to go on if you want to go off and, and find him yourself. There's there's no there's no video footage of him. There's a handful of <laughs> promotional images. He was uh, part of the reason why you know his his profile is low and sadly is also his, his his life was tragically short. Is that he was he was a cripplingly shy performer. Very very. In, in, like uh, in uh, sort of interior and and uh, not very well suited to performing, especially on you know as a as a as a lone sort of focus for the audience. And he his music he he used a lot of very complicated um, tunings on his guitar, so it took a lot of time in between songs to retune his guitar. So there was this often, you know, so I've read these very long and painful silences as he retuned his guitar. So he wasn't much of a, you know, uh, a showman. Um, and at the time he was competing against a lot of charismatic, you know, British male singer songwriters, you know, uh, Cat Stevens, uh, David Bowie at the time was into his folk phase. So he was probably, a, uh, you know, competing in the same, on the same bills and in the same field. Um, Mark Boland as well and Tyrannosaurus Rex. So, um, yeah, I think he was just very temperament, you know, temperamentally ill-suited to the the work that he tried to do, unfortunately, at least in terms of performing. Um, I certainly think he was, you know, an excellent musician, uh, yeah, who deserve, whose music deserves to be more widely known, as I said. Yeah, I kind of think like, well, I don't know, I discovered him maybe in the late 90s, early noughties. I feel like every decade there's like an article in like Uncut or Mojo or something and it gives him a new lease of life to So I, yeah, I discovered him maybe in the early noughties and I remember like uh, using uh, naughty uh, 
uh, online uh, <laughs> pirate sites. Uh, you could uh, download it. <laughs> when you said naughty, it made me think of pornography. So I just yeah, imagined there, like there was a club. <laughs> yeah, weird, weirdly, for a guy who doesn't do a lot of marketing, he did a lot of porn pictures. It's got a lovely face. Yeah, lovely who, face yeah the, the, the real meaning of Pink Moon. Um, and then. <laughs> I think it was like reading like one of those like uncut magazines. I used to buy a lot of music magazines, and like it was like, oh, have you heard Nick Drake? And I think I heard um, a track you've got on here, and I remember being spellbound at how great it was. Mm. And I think it's one of those cases when his best song was the first song I heard. So whilst hearing it, I was like, oh my god, I found my new favorite artist. And unfortunately, I had hit the peak too early. <laughs> I worked around a lot of music fans, and I think like talking to people everyone has their nick drake moment maybe i thought they sort of discover him for like a week and get into nick drake i think a lot of music fans at one point seem to sort of find their way there i guess because he gets mentioned by so many different artists so eventually you think oh, okay maybe i should give him a go because he's been mentioned by uh, tom york or or you know whoever yeah. um yeah so i'd say yeah so i i have heard i think um all three albums i think um by now i i assume there's like some rarities i think there's, there's like some undiscovered songs and things but i've not heard yeah those. yeah they they, they did mm. a um a, a collection of sort of yeah half finished songs and sort of private recordings that the family um i think it's called family tree actually i so i got that and mm. before that there'd been a lot of bootlegs the you know a lot of the, the official recordings that were released on this family tree sound like but bootlegs anyway they're not great quality songs but it's just nice when there's so little Mm. material to have a little bit more and you know just to, he's very enigmatic as a result of this i, I feel aside from because i guess in the, in the early 70s like like sound wise it's hard to have a a, a great amp so if he's going to be playing in a pub and he's got like a crappy on around amp at all and he's got no personality like people just aren't going to listen are they like he needs mm. to be playing playing somewhere where everyone wants to listen to him and he never got given that because so i think of why he kept quitting music because he he was told by people that he was a genius and then he like performed the people talking all over him and it just destroyed him didn't it so it's rather sad that he uh, never you know, saw his own fame mm-hmm. you, you hear it in the music as well there's a sort mm. of sagging quality of the sort of mood um and and pink moon his final album is so bleak uh it's beautiful but it's bleak much bleaker than the the previous two albums because mm. you see there's just the like a balloon steadily letting air out which i think adds to the sort of pathos of his music to me um you see see him failing even though even though the music shouldn't fail it he's failing yeah, yeah i can't remember what order so like what Early on, was there a lot more strings and a lot, of, a lot more majesty to his work. Then the later one was it more stripped down? I think it's it's actually the the, the second album, uh, brighter later, mm. had a lot of strings and sort of swelling instruments because of the producer that he brought on board. And supposedly Nick Drake didn't like that and moved away from that. But also the songs that he produced for his final album, Pink Moon, which is also extremely short, it's barely. I'm not even sure it's half an hour. It's like 28 minutes or mm. something like that. Were indicative of his mood as well, and it's sort of like you know they they sound quite raw. So they might be as much that rather than the you know even with strings they might have still sounded quite sort of you know um, bleak and spare. But um, the first album is is you know, there's cellos and in fact there's a song called the cello song, mm. um, and there's a bit more sort of optimism in the music I think. But as I say, I, I almost find that it's all bound up together, and I find the the bleakness of Pink Moon quite beautiful and 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 moving in in because of that and because of the context. Yeah, I guess the first album had all the optimism. He didn't know if it was going to be a hit or not, and by Pink Moon, yeah, his wind had been taken out. And also, I found out that John Cale played on the, on the second album, which is a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I think he knew that the producer is um, was American, Joe Boyd, and I wonder if, if that's the mm-hmm. connection there, um, John Cale. Because, um, yeah, there, like you said, there, a lot of people were lauding Nick Drake and he had mm-hmm. some good connections. You know, it's like um, uh, John Martin went on to become a you know much more successful folk musician and they, they had a close relationship with, with Nick Drake. He wrote a song called Solid Air about... Um, Nick Drake and um, yeah, him and his wife is sort of quite protective of him. But um, no, it's a very sad story. Um, you know, he 
uh, possibly had existing and separate mental health issues, but I think, yeah, his lack of success really ate away at him. He, um, he'd, he'd failed to build on his, um, you know, sort of musical promise and, and moved, moved, um, moved back home to, um, Warwickshire, you know, mm. with his, with his parents and then there's some doubt as to whether he took a deliberate or accidental overdose of, um, of sleeping pills, but yeah, he was, he was found dead. Um, my housemate and I, um, Barbara and I went to, um, the university of Warwick and, um, uh, my, my housemate and I visited Nick Drake's grave, um, which was only sort of like 45 minutes away. It's very simple, but there was a lot of, you know, plectrums and little sort of tidbits and stuff. And actually there was another couple, uh, you know, another set of people um visiting uh the grave which made it suddenly found uh, a, we, it put us off a little bit it made it seem a bit hokey but um it's a it's a pilgrimage site definitely for for fans having been to palaches you know where jim morrison is and, and other people yeah i can imagine that well we talked about a lot of dead people um say babs <laughs> well you know that's apt because this is yeah with nick drake he was someone I had, I had heard of. I don't, I don't know when I heard of him. I don't know if it was when we were at uni together, Tom, because I, I think I only found out recently that you and Owen went to his grave while, while we were at university. So, yeah, that was interesting. But I knew him as this cult folk musician in a doomed romantic style like Ian Curtis, or I felt maybe lazily like Jeff Buckley, as, as previously mentioned. You know, Jeff Buckley only had one album, right, even if there is a lot of live recordings. And I can definitely get on board with liking musicians like that right there is something very romantic and kind of you know you're alive and they're dead and, and you can listen to it but I think because it was folk which is really not my kind of genre I'd never really bothered to to, to check anything out but uh yeah I'm really I'm really glad that, that he got picked because yeah he's such an interesting person because he clearly was you know a bit of a genius reading about how obsessive he was about practicing his guitar technique and the tuning as you mentioned Tom and it's just so sad how just clearly his mental health impacted his music. It made me think of the film Frank. Have you guys seen it? Have you seen it, Tom? No. So Frank is the film with Michael Fassbender where he has a big paper mache head. Oh, his... about Frank Sidebottom. Yes, yeah, I haven't seen exactly. it, but I know the, the character. So in, in that film, there's this big debate because, you know, Donald Gleeson, who's playing the John Munson character, he's kind of like, oh, you know, it is it is because he's crazy that he's good. And there's this kind of scene towards the end where it's like, no, actually, like, if I didn't have these problems, it would make life so much easier. And it, it just seems to me so obvious that with, you know, reading about Nick Drake's life that, you know, this was the late 60s, early 70s, people didn't talk about mental health in that way. And I think mm. when people, if people did talk about mental health, it would be kind of like crazy people, you know, like maybe schizophrenic people, or hysterical people smashing things up. I think depression was... Or something else and yeah i do wonder how much kind of smoking all the dope that he clearly did yeah definitely. can't can't have helped yeah i think he he struggled to um i think he struggled socially as well i think he struggled to articulate himself there's there's a, a lyric that really sticks with me i can't remember if it is in one of the songs that i've selected but it it, it basically the lyric is if songs were lines in a conversation the situation would be fine and that mm. sort of almost seems to like sum him up to me and I think mm -hmm. to some other people it's kind of like he could always express himself in, in music but he just couldn't translate that to 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 normal life almost yeah and saying that I mean like if he did become mega famous that could be even worse for him couldn't it really yeah yeah he could have mm. done the, down the Craig Nichols the mm. blinds route right that we we talked about Fran I found it very interesting to read about his non-sexuality as mm. well because so was he was he asexual? Was he secretly gay? Because mm. from what from reading about, you know, the little I read about it, obviously, Tom, you know more. It's kind of like he had relationships, but they weren't consummated. Mm. And was was that social anxiety? Was that, you know, a slight effect of depression? And because he was also on meds, and I was reading about how he was kind of quite ashamed to be talking about them, which again, so understandable, especially in that time. And I know that those kinds of meds sometimes can have a very negative effect on your libido. But I'm like, oh my god, he must have been like one frustrated man whatever was going on right so uh yeah does he mention like love or anything in his lyrics at all well he, he writes his songs are often about um women 
Mm. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're not sexual, but they are romantic and, and the object of that romance is, is female. You know, I picked two songs, um, Hazy Jane one and Hazy Jane two. And like, you know, it seems to idealize female characteristics. So I don't, I don't know if, um, yeah, like that seems like the most obvious, um, suggestion barbara that it's he just you know either was unable you know to have sexual desire even though he had romantic interest or mm-hmm. i don't know yeah he was he was an asexual man and you know that might have uh, it, 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 it's it's interesting because at that point in time getting into being a musician you, you you're kind of seeking a type kind of lifestyle as well aren't you yeah. like you know and he was he went to I think Marrakesh with the Rolling Stones and there's sort of details about how he he definitely sought out the the lifestyle of a musician he was sort of chasing yeah. that above other options you know he was a bright guy he was at Cambridge and stuff he could have you know chosen a different path that he was more temperamentally suited to so it's a really interesting he's such an enigmatic figure and there's just so little yeah. to um beyond his music to kind of to like yeah to piece it together joe boyd did say apparently that his lyrics had a virginal quality which is quite interesting mm. um and uh yeah i think you know having seen this it, it then surprised me so when when boyd came back to england to for them to work on a fourth album Apparently he wrote in his autobiography that Drake said, like, you told me I was a genius. Why am I not famous and rich? And I'm just like, that's kind of surprising that someone, I guess, so sensitive would, would be like, I, I don't know, it kind of it felt at odds with now the kind of music that I listen to. I, like, I can understand wanting to make a career out of it and wanting to, to be a musician and to be able to make money because I was reading about kind of the retainers that he had from Ireland and at one point he couldn't afford shoes and stuff like that. Mm. But uh but to be so focused on the on the fame, it surprised me for someone who, you know, was writing about women and nature and shit, basically. His his sister, uh, his sister was was a relatively famous actress, um, Gabrielle Drake. She was in a um, fairly long running sitcom, I, uh, not sitcom, a, a soap opera, I think, um, and yeah, achieved a certain level of of, of fame in a in a similar field. Um, so yeah it just it, it it doesn't quite tally as you say it's sort of you know it seems like he was seeking out something that yeah he was just so <laughs> temperamentally ill-suited to but he he certainly was you know a, a, a very talented musician and a, and a very talented um you know lyricist i think maybe, maybe if he was in a band it would have helped him a little bit because he could have been like the creative person and had a front man but you know yeah exactly not not to mm. just be the pure, pure focal point of yeah. something but, but is... would he have ceded control who knows? But it could um, be like for, for Johnny Greenwood kind of uh, person, you know, <laughs> for, for Junius like... at the back kind of thing, you know. But yeah. he has got a great voice. That's the problem, isn't he? He's got that, that that beautiful voice. But yeah, so just I will finish with 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 two facts that I um I enjoyed. So I didn't know that Life in a Northern Town by Dream Academy was written for and dedicated to him because I, I was just looking at the lyrics. And I'm like, what? How? I don't I don't know. But sure, fine. And I did not know that the Cure got their name from a Nick Drake lyric. A troubled cure for a troubled mind from time has told me. So, no, I did. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was the uh, the reference Apparently there. So. Interesting. Apparently so. But yeah, let's let's. We've talked a lot about his life, but definitely his life is a reason to like him. You know, his his enigmaticness, as we've said. But let's let's get into the music. What's your first pick, Tom? Um. So well, you've just you've just uh, referenced it. It's um called one of these things first. Um. It's off his second album, Brighter Later, which is far and away my 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 favorite i i love that album um as, again you know as a whole and without exception like i i just think it's the most complete and um mu- most musically satisfying um album i love how lush and swelling the um the the orchestral arrangements are on it uh, I think they really enhance his music. It's interesting that it's apparently the uh, very opposite of what Nick Drake thought about it. Um, but um, yeah, and this is um, uh, just a just a really lovely song. I think one of these things first. Um, yeah, again, you know, not to o- overuse the word enigmatic, but um, I think you know the, the the lyrics immediately sort of conjure. Uh, 
it, it, it's a beautiful song, but it's kind of, if you listen and think about the lyrics, it's quite troubling. You know, he's, um, he seems quite sort of wistful about being all these, you know, being something that something else. And he seems more interested in that than, than the life that he's living at that, you know, I think. Yeah, I knew this track. Um, obviously, it has a lot more piano than you always think of of Nick being a virtuoso, sort of like almost classical um, guitar player. Um, but yeah, the piano is front and center with uh, some light uh, percussion. But you have to listen hard to hear the picked guitar in the background. But I love the way that you know the piano sort of like the the piano interludes after the vocals. Um, yeah, lyrically, I I couldn't tell if it had any depth. Or if you're just saying lyrics to to fill the music, but some people say that um, he heard the song for Temps, the way you do the things you do, and he just changed their lyrics to his lyrics. And that's what he did for the whole song. <laughs> so, I don't, so I don't know if there's much step for he just thought, oh, that sounds like a, an idea. But yeah, this has always been one of my favourites. And um, having a quick look, I think that yeah, this would probably be my favourite album because all the songs I like seem to be from this album. Yeah. I looked up why it's called Brighter Lata. And apparently it's, it's to do with the RP accent that people on BBC Radio used to do. So it's meant to be brighter later. The weather is going to be brighter later, but it's brighter later. Which, uh, which makes me think, oh, okay, he had a sense of humour, even though he's writing about quite bleak things. Yeah, for me, actually, the lyrics, immediately I was like, oh, it's longing for the grass being greener on the other side. It's kind of like, I would rather be literally any anybody, anything than than myself, um, which is, yeah, quite beautiful but bleak, which I'm guessing is, is the theme here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like this song. I think in part because I also wasn't expecting piano at all. Like, I, you know, not being a folky gal myself, I, I did think it was going to be, you know, five acoustic guitar ballads, and it's really not. Um, I like how the piano accompanies the guitar and, and the bass as well. And I, yeah, I, because I didn't know him, I hadn't heard his voice. Lovely voice, just a little bit hoarse, again, which kind mm-hmm. of adds to that vulnerability of just like, it's not kind of perfect and shiny, which which goes very well. And I really, really like the melody line that, that he's singing. There's another song as well where I'm just like, wow, it, it's not at all what you'd expect from, from a folky song and it is very much its own instrument. So yeah, despite it yeah, not really being normally my kind of thing by the third listen, I, I'd saved it. So yeah, I think a, a very solid opener. Mm, yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it's underrated how, um, how beautiful his voice is as well. I've kind of, you know, waxed lyrical about the arrangements and the sort of you know the playing and stuff but yeah his voice is really is is really beautiful apparently he was a very tall man i think i remember reading almost so. seven foot someone <laughs> wrote i think yeah a lot of things didn't kind of fit together that this big tall kind of awkward gangly guy would 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 bumble on stage and be hunched over his guitar for ages sort of tuning it but then produce this really fragile and sort of hauntingly you know sort of beautiful voice um again it just yeah it uh, it just adds to the the mystique that surrounds him hmm, i guess that's one bonus point because jeff buckley had a lot of imitators but i can't really hear this voice since really it's kind of unique isn't it yeah yeah no definitely no one's been able to kind of capture that sort yeah of but yeah that's always a bonus for me and and folk probably doesn't do justice to certainly the you know this album like it doesn't sound because you know because of the orchestral company it doesn't sound folky but it was in the middle of that moment where there was a lot of you know singer songwriters with guitars uh, that might be one of the reasons why he wasn't in a band you know it was the style at the time mm. the sort of fashion at the time was to be a tri- you know, yeah yeah exactly tom what's your second pick it is a song also from I mean, I've, I've been calling it Brighter Later all these years. I was, I was quite shocked Brighter to hear Lata. Lata. Brighter Later. No, I was just like, that's embarrassing. Uh, it's called Hazy Jane 1, the first Hazy Jane. And yes, it's just, um, I mean, I, I, I'm in danger of probably repeating the same sentiment here uh, about why I like all these songs, because it's they're, they're very much of a, of a, of a kind. Um, in, in comparison, I think one of the animating sort of qualities that when I was picking the Bowie playlist was to make it as different musically um, as I possibly could. A lot of the songs I picked for Nick Drake are quite similar in style. And this is, you know, again, it's lush, it's sort of pastoral. I find that the the album and this song especially conjures a 
image of sort of British English countryside and a particular era of that you know kind of green and pleasant land almost um that's 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 where the the music takes me um and these songs uh, this song and its second part uh, which we'll get onto really really just transports me there yeah so this was a song that i first downloaded and this became my winamp is that a phrase you remember oh yeah yeah, this is my win yeah, regular. Yeah. And I remember showing this on MSN a lot at the time. I was going to say, is this a song you used to woo the girls with? Oh, yeah, I would say, hey, have you heard of Nick Drake? Check this out. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Hazy Jemima, Hazy, you know. Yeah, I mean, imagine meeting two people called Hazy Jane. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, yeah, the strings and guitar sound brilliant together. I, I kind of think of, you know, Watership Down before the bad. You know, when it's all mm. like with rabbits and a, a beautiful English <laughs> sunshine. Yeah, about to be ruined. About yeah, well, be, yeah. Uh, Brutalised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's about losing somebody to substance. I don't know if that's the, the lyrics. As I kind of thought, Hazy Jane. Like, um, Hazy is a, a brilliant word. I don't use it enough. Yeah, if, if you want to discover Nick Drake, pop on this. And if you don't like it, then this, he ain't for you. But for yeah. me, this is, this is, yeah, pure. This is what he's all about. And... It's a shame that I, I have not found anything as good as this since. I actually prefer one of these things first to, to Hazy Jane one, uh, I have to say. <laughs> um, but what, so this song from the beginning, I was like, oh, the guitar technique here is amazing. Like what he's playing, I guess the only thing I can think of is like Eric Clapton with slow hand, right? Where it's like, it's it's slow, but it's clearly intricate and, and very difficult to play. It reminds me of a bit of Scott Walker with the strings, although the voice, very different. But yeah, I think Scott Walker is maybe another kind of, you know, musician's favourite, kind of not comedians, comedians, but musicians, musicians. I, alongside the strings and the interesting guitar technique, I really like the percussion because I read that it almost sounds like djembe or something. It sounds like a drum sound that isn't to me very familiar in traditional Western music. So I don't know what it is, but I like it. So we've talked about the first of the Hazy James. Yes. <laughs> What's the second one all about? I, I I did I did think oh, can I pick them both? Um, that's a little bit repetitive. But then I thought they they dovetail so nicely because it's a very different um, t- song. Hazy Jane too. Um, mm-hmm. th- th- there's not um, there's not a lot to connect them musically. Uh, I guess there's just the the character of of, of Jane. But that's what I found very interesting because I'm trying to sort of. I, I spent a lot of time trying to construct in my head, uh, flesh out the narrative of this character and, again, connect it up with the mythology about about Nick Drake and kind of try and, you know, connect that to the images that the music conjures in my mind. Because, um, again, it's just, it's just a very beautiful, you know, sad nostalgia that it conjures, but a beautiful um, nostalgia. Um, and, I you know, I didn't live through the same time period. So I don't know how he's making me nostalgic for something that I didn't live through. Um, you know, I think that's that's what I find very affecting about this 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 album especially. It kind of, yeah, it makes me pine for uh, <laughs> something that I see in connection with this, with this music. Yeah, I was surprised how different it was to the other Hazy Jane. This, I can kind of hear where Bell, where Bell and Sebastian kind of like boy a lot of them sounds from this track it's got a faster lyrical um verses a little bit of horns um some rhythmic joyous guitars it's like the brighter side of cannabis um <laughs> more depressing paranoid cannabis and again you know this to be a great track to dance at a sunny festival and it's sad that he never got the play it's 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 it's, mm. it's sort of the peak again it's like the it's the crest of as optimistic as he sounds, yeah. isn't it? I think, and that's that brings its own sort of pathos because you know where it's going. Mm, you know exactly. where exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but um, um, Babs, were you a fan of the second Hazy Jane? So when it started, I thought, oh no, this is what I thought all songs would be like because it was very like Tari. Uh, but when he starts singing, and when there's there's something I don't know if it's brass, but there's a kind of alarm backing goes mm. in and out. It improved massively 
And here, like with um, one of one of these things first, the melody line of his singing is so unexpected, and again takes you takes you on a journey. So it just emphasised to me that yeah, this is not just one man and his guitar. And you know, the guitar that he is using is good, but I think I sometimes get quite bored by by music that's just that. And that's yeah, that's when I read about how this album has Fairport Convention, John Cale and Beach Boys session musicians, Mike Kowalski and Ed Carter, because apparently he wanted it to sound like Pet Sound. So I don't like the jingly jangly guitars and the bass when he's not singing, but when he's singing, thumbs up. There's, there's a really interesting sort of um, uh, side story about like um, wh- whether or not orchestral scores are welcome on certain albums. Like I know for um, uh, Let It Be is a very controversial Beatles album because of the mm. um, orchestral, you know, all the strings and stuff that Phil Spector, who wasn't obviously Beatles regular producer, um, stuck on that. And yeah, Pet Sounds is kind of like, was the technical high point of like 60s studio productions. And, uh, you know, understandably, this is still only like four or five years maybe um, on from that. So it's still a, a reference point. And, you know, you, f- you forget as well that reputations of, albums grow over time don't they so while people can have an initial reaction it's also something continues to be and possibly grows more influential over time as you as its reputation grows and as you see how kind of like pioneering it's become so I wonder if Nick Drake yeah felt that he needed something that in the end he 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 didn't like in in this sort of Joe Boyd um, orchestral but he's also shooting himself in the foot because like like those bands the Beach Boys and the Beatles couldn't tour those albums exactly. so he's, ma- he's making this album only going to them live and it's all gone like they, he won't have the horns he won't have the strings he no. can't produce it the same so people are going to be kind of cheated so yeah it's, I guess you know you can do that once you've got a big fan base and you can you can afford to have Sesame just on tour but if it's just him in a tiny venue it's not going to be the same song is it if you're yes, so you need him. to find a way to adapt it mm. to just you know one man one guitar which would be possible I guess but you'd still need yeah, these, days, help, these right? days you could have like you know loops and you could have it on mm. a computer but back in 1970 it'd just be him and yeah. the guitar isn't it really so oh well yeah Hey, podcast lovers. Now available, a new podcast experience featuring exclusive miniseries like Food Faves, an all-new series that takes a fun look at everyone's real first true love, food. Milky Way Marvels, a lighthearted astronomy series where we explore the fascinating wonders of our galaxy. Pop culture icons, an entertaining, nostalgic look back at various nouns in popular culture, plus more. Relax, enjoy. Listen, laugh, and maybe even learn. Podcast, presented by Sonic Embassy. Now streaming everywhere you listen. Access quick links to your favorite places to listen now at solo.to slash Sonic Embassy. Underrated. So what's your, what's your next pick, Tom? Um, my next pick is uh, the song Saturday Sun, which is from his um, first uh, debut album, um, Five Leaves Left. Um, I knew I needed a track from his first album. I decided not to go chronologically. I thought I was too basic and I don't like, as I've said, you know, as much of the two, uh, you know, the first and third album as I, as, as I do of Brighter Lata. Um, so I'll have to get used to calling it now. Um, I've got Dark Punk in my head, Brighter, Lata, Harder, Faster, or something. <laughs> that is a cover I would like to see. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I um, so I, I had a I had a spin through uh, Five Leaves Left to remind myself of the particular song that I like the most. There's a couple of like you know, so the uh, the River Man and Cello song are, uh, are from these albums and are relatively more well-known and I, I didn't want to stray into you know I feel I feel like I've picked a, a, a well-known Nick Drake song coming up next so I am um, I yeah I, 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 I remembered that I always have a really fond um, reaction to to Saturday Sun and it's sort of like a sad and slow song that somehow makes me feel again that sort of you know there's there's a sort of more optimistic 
tone coming through from an artist that I associate more with a bleak kind of, you know, sadness. And I just like the contrast between, yeah, that, 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 the, the, the pace of that music. It's got, um, it's got like a slow percussive, um, uh, arrangement, uh, that, um, I think gives it a really nice, um, uh, atmosphere. Yeah, Saturday Sun is kind of what I think I heard after I enjoyed Hazy Jane. Yeah, it's, it's easy to not notice, I think, if you're listening to a lot of songs. Um, it's a more soulful side mm. um, to Nick Drake, I, I think, than others. But it's kind of, for me, it maybe meanders down to the lounge room, sort of like, you know, guy and a, a guy that's in a jazz cafe, you know, playing some nice music, which he, he kind of like, but you're not going to go over and buy the CD. And that's yeah, and that's what I find some of Nick Drake's work can be. So he does have these lush, beautiful arrangements, and some of it is just a bit. Oh, that yeah, that's happening. That's mm. nice. And so yeah, that's, that's, so that's why I think I stood back from Nick Drake. Um, but yeah, Babs, what, what's your thoughts? Well, I broadly agree with you, Fran. I'm afraid to say, Tom. So yeah, this is a jazzier folk, and that's two genres that I don't particularly <laughs> like. Normally, I I found this. I wrote exactly that music or lift music uh, mm. for me, I, I, I found it quite uninspiring actually, just I think in part because it is a very low, low song. And when I was like, okay, but maybe there's something in the lyrics, you know, I found something in the lyrics from, from other songs, but I don't really know what this is about. He says, Saturday sun brought people in faces that didn't seem much in their day. But when I remembered those people in places, they were really too good in their way, in their way. And I was like, right, what's happening? Like, yeah. So that also just meant that I was like, yeah, this is not, this is not gelling with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you were saying, Tom, that you you kind of have memories associated with this song, right? So maybe that's why. I think I think that Nick Drake especially, but sort of music, you know, for me more broadly is about creating atmospheres. Um, and then I, in that atmosphere, there's other elements that I kind of connect to. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it would be very, reductionist just to sort of uh, keep circling everything back and reading you know into every lyric that he writes some kind of like deeper connection to his story because that's not how you know uh, lyrics work and 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 art isn't always sort of reflective of the bigger narrative of the artist but I just yeah there's there's always this like (laughs) kind of not I don't want to say wallowing, but um, maybe wallowing is the best word. Like there's just this nostalgia that it evokes in me. I just find it very, it, 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 there's a very kind of like rich draw in the atmosphere that his, his, his music creates, um, which perhaps, yeah, is just me buying into the mythology of, uh, of, of Nick Drake, the doomed artist. I don't know. Just to say, I was looking for the word. I couldn't remember it. There is a word. For a, a nostalgia for a time that you've never experienced, which is anemonia. Uh, sorry, anemoya is oh, is right. that word. So I think that is what uh, what he's creating for you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Because yeah, I just I and then I start to visualize him as this kind of um, outsidery flaneur kind of guy, just watching the world and being so apart from it. But he's so interested in it, and he's he wants to. He, he finds it beautiful and he wants to detail it, but he can't participate in it. Uh, he can only participate in, in it through describing it in his music. Um, so I think I'm kind of almost a little bit spellbound by that image I have of him. And nothing, there's n- nothing exists to dissuade me of that apart from the music, which I'm, 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 I'm so won over by um, that it's kind of like a, yeah, sort of. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in, and, 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 and. I love it. You're trapped. Nick Drake has trapped you in a world that you never knew. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. sounds like a horror film. I, I just, want... I just, I just luxuriate in it. I really do. I find the atmosphere so um, warm, and even yeah, as we're going to get onto, even when it gets bleak, it's still beautiful to me. Even though, like this, I find a lot more kind of like. Yes, yeah, the Saturday Sun. I don't know. It, it's not even a concept that I think of as you know something that I'm familiar with, but it fits the, the atmosphere that I enjoy about this song. I can imagine him having a 
an American fan base because I know there's a lot of people who like that kind of like cliche English gentleman down on his luck, but you know. Well, it was Napster that spread spread was it, his was music. It, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also surprised I've not really heard of his songs in like media more. Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. apart from the next one, right? That's uh, yeah. They don't fit so many like opening credits to, to a film or a TV show, or so it's interesting. I had heard when I was reading more about Nick Drake many years ago, so it might be either outdated or slightly um, uh, misremembered. I, I think the family used to be quite picky and choosy mm. about what they would license for and how his music could be used. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's influenced that, but most estates now have got kind of quite like a, a, a long distance relationship to to that and you know they kind of don't want to manage it they just want the the cash to roll in that's why all these artists have sold their back catalogs isn't mm-hmm. it you know including bowie uh, and uh, and and dylan and yeah springsteen Genesis. all the rest of them yeah yeah i think i i really resonate with what you're saying about luxuriating in an atmosphere that's created and i think possibly all of us here we do like to listen to depressing music to to feel better but i think i with Saturday Sun in particular, I think, yeah, I think it is just the genre that, that leaves me cold. I was like, yeah, th- mm. this is not, I need to be more alienated. I need less double bass and piano yeah, to, yeah. To, want to, to want to luxuriate in that world. So what's your final pick, uh, Tom? Uh, my final pick is Pink Moon, the title track of his final, as I alluded to earlier, very uh, bleak and spare album. But possibly as a result of this relatively famous um, Volkswagen American advert, possibly his most famous um, uh, track. On Spotify listens, yes. It's, it's definitely the one that got his profile raised in, um, in America, especially. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's a song that I always, um, you know... <laughs> very basic but you know if i I, if i if i notice the moon on a a particular day i find myself singing it in my head i think it's the one truly uh, purely beautiful moment on this last album Uh, the the rest of which i find becomes increasingly quite hard to listen to because it's just getting so you know bleak uh again for for one of another uh suitable synonym but um yeah i think um Pink Moon becomes quite hard to listen to. Uh, I don't know if you know if that's an opinion shared by other Nick Drake fans, but um, it's just pared down to the absolute basics. And actually, the playing is quite uh, not clumsy, but sounds underproduced in other songs. Whereas this one, it, you know, it's quite slight. I think it's just under two minutes or around that mark. But it it feels the most professionally produced of of that album. Whereas the rest of it, yeah, becomes just, you know, so, so bare bones. How do you change producers for this album? He definitely didn't use Joe Boyd, I don't mm. think. Or he might even have just turned up. I have a vague recollection of reading a story that he just turned up with a load of his demos and just dropped, dropped them off. So it might John even Woods have been... John Woods apparently was the producer who was who worked with Fairport Convention, John Martin, Cat Stevens, etc. Yeah, this is definitely like a... A pretty uh, folky song, and I've heard it so many, so many times. I, I never really understood why it was his most, I, I guess, because of the advert, but it's also a strange choice for the advert. Out of all the songs I would have chosen to choose for an advert, I may not necessarily have chosen Pink Moon. Um, yeah, I've got a feeling that I must have heard a lot of this album when I was trying to get into it and I got put off. <laughs> So I, I I think yeah maybe it's just the mid era Nick Drake is where I, is where I find the love, but um yeah this is fine. Also do you know Sugarman that um art American artist yeah in the documentary yeah I, there's a lot of links to same sort of similar sounds although I guess they never heard each other, but if if you didn't know about better you think that Rodriguez had maybe copied some of the arrangements because it's the Not strings and the guitars but then like but then you know he didn't send anything so maybe it's just coincidence because well not at the beginning right well, many yeah, years but, later yeah but yeah. i think rodriguez i think his his albums were like early 17th as well so just, yeah. i mean yeah like like i said there's a lot of, of people a lot of singer songwriters in the, uh, the post bob dylan era isn't there really and what's even weird is that nick drake's younger than my dad 
it seems so it seems so long ago but yeah, think, yeah he would be like a year younger for my dad so it's like well you know it's he, yeah he was so young when he passed away yeah that's i think possibly why also my dad was 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 so aware of him and so into him he was like a direct contemporary mm. um so yeah i think you know it's uh, it's just it's just very sad that you know his you know there's obviously the wasted musical potential but it's one of those like i think you mentioned earlier barbara there's that kind of self-reinforcing doomed artist myth isn't there which kind of like inflates the and i think i definitely have fallen a little bit victim here in, in, in relation one, yeah one way or it's, it, 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 it's kind of hard to extricate the the musician in this case from it in the same way yeah like some of the people you mentioned earlier in curses and stuff they must be more romantic mm. figures as a result of their the wider story and how the music fits and feeds that narrative i think yeah, it'd be interesting to meet someone who's never heard of him and don't mention that he's passed away and to see what they think of the music, not yeah. knowing the context. Well, I guess that the fact that this was used on a Volkswagen commercial means that a lot of people came mm. across it like that, right? In a, in, in a very, un, you know, in a very commercial way, um, different to, to his other songs. So, yeah, uh, can I mention again the album cover here, guys? Because there's there's a tooth for the face what is going on like uh it, it, that was such a weird album cover you, know, you think like contemplative and, and nature I, I looked at it and I was like this this seems again like a, a, it's again it's another fever dream well no, I think it's like uh Salvador Dali but on Microsoft Paint this time is, is what I would say <laughs> but anyway um I like this better than, than Saturday Sun I found it intriguing how his voice sounds quite innocent and childlike here more than previously mm. which is surprising given that it's a, it's a later album but when you read about kind of like how he made it and how difficult it must have been you know I, I don't know maybe that yeah but it's just yeah it was more real he was really struggling by this point I think that's yeah, um it seems it yeah it's clear in the the nature of the music but I think it was also that he didn't have any energy left to to really make the songs uh, all they could be you know I think he kind of just turned out what he could and you know it, it, he didn't like you know from memory I think it, it was some time passed between him recording the these tracks and 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 dying but he he just seemed like he had given it you, as well yeah exactly so actually when you think about it you know what what else he had to give musically he might have been more like a sort of Sid Barrett figure in that mm-hmm. He could have just lived, uh, you know, a sort of a different life for a period of time, never really producing anything else um, musically, because it does feel like this is the end of the line for for someone, to me, the yeah, album I, as a whole. I found it, uh, it, made, it made me kind of smile that you were both saying, like, this song is so bleak, this album is so bleak, because actually that's not how it came across to me, like... Uh, I didn't listen to, I didn't look at the lyrics particularly closely for this one, but I think the fact that the song is so short and ends quite suddenly actually made me want to go back to it. So maybe it's because I've only listened to this song out of context of the rest of the album. Yeah, maybe if it is all kind of one note, uh, feel about it differently. But yeah, it took me a few listens to get my hand around it. And I think, yeah, sometimes songs like that that finish suddenly, you're like, no, but I want more. So, so you go back to it. So I very easily uh, went back to it. But yeah, it was kind of incredible looking at the stats from like, so this song was featured in an advert in 1999. Uh, so it took his album sales from 6,000 copies to 74,000 <laughs> the next wow. year in, two, in 2000. And um, there were some interesting quotes from uh, American newspapers. So the LA Times saw it as an example of how following the consolidation of US radio stations, previously unknown music was finding audiences through, through advertising, basically. And the, there's a nice quote from The Atlantic, which said, the chronic shyness and mental illness that made it hard for Drake to compete with 1970s showmen like Elton John and David Bowie didn't matter when his songs were being pulled one by one out of the ether and played late at night in a dorm room. Yes, 100%. Like, this mm. is college radio fodder. <laughs> Supreme, <laughs> but that didn't exist in the same way at the time. So, yeah, I guess he, yeah, ahead of his time in a lot of ways. No, definitely. Yeah, I think that's... He operated in a time where he had to tour and like spread the word about his music and he just couldn't do it so i think you know he kind of knew he was 
he he was he was done uh, at this point. But yeah, I, I I should stop talking more about Pink Moon the album because I say as you've sort of rightly picked up on this title track is not that bleak. It's actually quite a beautiful, you know, contained little song that um, I, I think, yeah, it sort of stands as the high point of this album, which sort of gradually becomes, you know, a, 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 a sort of, uh, you know, a very tragic kind of um, end of an end of his career. But yeah, it's, it deserves, I think, to be, the 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 gateway to, to to people you know for for Nick Drake because yeah you can move around his 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 catalogue and yeah I think this is almost feel would have fitted better on 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 Brighter Lata rather than uh, than the album it's ended up on actually I guess we don't know when he wrote it I mean could, could he have written this during those sessions and just had it left over or yeah quite possibly I think mm. the, the the turnaround times are quite close aren't they the albums the um, there's not a huge amount of time between each of them. So, yeah. It's also crazy when you look at these old record deals, because, you know, these days he would have been dropped after the first album, wouldn't he? It's amazing. The fact that, that he had a retainer. Yeah. I was like, like three wow. Al- three albums, <laughs> even though he sold like 5,000. So at least he had three albums. And you know, most artists these days would have been dropped after that first album. So at least at least back in those days, they gave people more of a chance to you know, become a, a best-selling album artist even i think ireland were quite a progressive label as well at the time i think mm. they had a reputation for being quite um what's the word supportive and you know like um you know pioneering across quite a few mm. different genres so i guess you like reggae yeah exactly so you have to sort of be quite bold to to do that because you're not you're not working with established if you're if you're creating a genre as a, you know or sort of like moving into a new genre you have to kind of do a lot of stuff based on faith that it will work out and like you were saying earlier Barbara, i think you know a lot of people just was, were won over by the the musical genius that they thought nick drake to be um yeah. but one that needed to be i don't know kind of like you know either either parachuted into a different era i guess or or kind of given handled... a team to manage stuff for him yeah because yeah, yeah. I, I found the quote so um it was ashley hutchings the bass player with fairport convention said he was impressed by drake's guitar skill but even more so by his image he said he looked like a star he looked wonderful he seemed to be seven foot tall <laughs> and it's like yeah that, on a fellow musician that's the impression that he made so the makings were there but i think as fran pointed out you know someone as fragile as him my god can you imagine you know what drugs he would have gotten into and what a fragile state of mind he, he could have gone into with the flame as well so yeah uh yeah <laughs> but yeah very very sad <laughs> just, just mm. very sad so so we asked a question uh babs so i definitely think he's underrated in pop culture right so the fact that i know his name but nothing else as a as a music fan okay not a, not a folk music fan I think is bizarre you know he he clearly influenced so many people when I was looking like Kate Bush, Paul Weller, Black Crows, R.E.M., The Cure that's a big list of people that, that he's influenced which is kind of amazing for someone who sold as few records as he did in his time but when I went to look at the Spotify statistics he has um two hang on oh god my head's popped up he's got uh two almost 2.5 million monthly listeners that is a fuck ton and pink moon has 130 million listens like that's big big numbers so mm. i think he's not underrated in terms of fans like he seems absolutely fairly rated in terms of fans but i do think like the the man is more than the music like yeah people i'm sure there are other people like me out there who have heard of Nick Drake, but don't know anything about him or what he sounds like, which is which is a shame because they they absolutely should. I think any any folk playlist that convinces me that someone is good is rare. So I that's it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence, like not not quite not quite underrated culturally. Oh, sorry, underrated culturally, but not maybe musically. Yeah, for going purely for music. So like yeah, for the past twenty years, he's always an artist. But everyone's saying, oh, he's underrated, he's underrated. So he's, maybe for me, he's an overrated, underrated artist, if that's a thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, oh, okay, we're moving to new categorizations today, okay. So yeah, yeah, uh, there's, he's probably got half a dozen songs I really, really like, but 
over the three albums, yeah, I would struggle to maybe feel more than more than that. So, yeah, I can't really say that he's that underrated. And they've given me the stats that he's you know got millions of plays, so people do kind of know him. I think probably because right, it's it's three albums as you said. Like you know, if you get mm. into him, it's really not yeah. much to. Yeah, I mean, let me go and look at Jeff Buckley's statistics. Because I mean, Jeff Buckley, there is a lot of kind of live live albums. Um, but yeah, so Jeff Buckley has a uh, similar 2.8 million and Hallelujah up the top with 296 million, uh, much bigger. So, yeah. And again, people will still say, oh, he's underrated. You know, there's people who will clutch Jeff Buckley as if he's their own personal artist. They found I mean, I, I remember at school, there was a, there was a girl who was really into Jeff Buckley. She was like the first person I saw get a, a, a musical related tattoo. She had like his lyrics tattooed on her ankle mm. when she was like 16. And I think about her and I'm like, does she does she regret that? I don't know. <laughs> and just to say, I think that, you know, again, chimes with what we were saying about the romanticization of the, you know, artist uh, who who burned out and, and died young. And, you know, that's that's enhancing this. So, so it, you can't be you're certainly not underrated by the fans of, you know, that uh, that know your music because actually you're you know, idolized and you've become uh, a sort of icon for, you know, Nick Drake has become an icon like Jeff Buckley and Ian Curtis have for a certain type of, you know, doomed um, romantic uh, musician, romantic artist. But let's not buy like that Joy Division fan who bought the plot of land next to his grave so that I think maybe killed herself to be buried next to him. Let's let's not go there, guys. I think it's very human to to romanticize this, but like, let's um... keep it does Elliot Smith get a similar vibe? Or is he I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I I don't know any of his music. Uh, maybe maybe actually I've I've heard more, but yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then you know bands are like associated with with uh, the artists who you know Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix. You know the old Twenty Seven Club. Um, mm. Nirvana only yeah. have three. Was it only three studio albums? You mm. know. Yeah. But then yeah. their cult their cultural impact is you know by many orders of magnitude higher than Nick Drake's three albums. Can I ask a quick question regarding Nirvana? Do you prefer the cover to the Bowie song or do you prefer Bowie's? I prefer Nirvana, but... Oh, I'm, I'm going to uh, give you guys some homework. Or, or Lulu. Uh, Lulu. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you know it. I was going to say the Lulu version is uh, is the uh, the one that I love the most. That is not it's... what I expected to come. <laughs> well, next. I guess Nirvana in some ways saved, saved that song. So for a long time, mm. people in the UK knew it from Lulu. And then Nirvana came along and went, oh, this is now a cool, a cool song again. <laughs> I think the Lulu version is cool. She was, I think they were having an affair at the time. Um, and Bowie produced it as well. Bowie's um wow. naughty Bowie, naughty Facts Bowie. Facts at the end. Facts at the end. There we go. I forgot to ask you about this in advance, Tom. But is there anything you'd like to plug? If not, I have an idea uh, for you because your brother is a musician, right? So we we might want to plug his uh, his work. I suddenly to temporarily panicked. Then I was like, I I don't have any music. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was like, don't worry. Like I've got a solution. I, I was thinking you might want me to uh, plug one of the TV shows that I work on. As... I mean, you can. I yeah. mean, you you have Watch a very interesting chase. job if you want. Yeah. <laughs> want to talk about it <laughs> okay that's not what i was thinking yeah. but there for, we for go. chase definitely needs us to plug it yeah <laughs> <laughs> is that over or underrated in your opinion the chase <laughs> yeah so to plug um I, I should plug my brother's music shouldn't i um which yeah, i'm not should. prepared to do um, all right well so anyway so... for me while i do... <laughs> uh so tom's brother jack haig is a full-time musician if i'm not mistaken <laughs> yes and he's a he's a um uh, a singer songwriter uh acoustic guitar um he's not um oh but he his music is he is a, he's a fucking genius like he uh yeah i have to say like the type of music that he makes again isn't automatically my kind of music because it's acoustic guitar but the way that he plays the guitar is seriously impressive. He is yeah, very accomplished. Technically, it's it's really interesting. He sort of uses the guitars as like a percussive instrument as well as like a melodic uh, instrument by sort of, you know, uh, he used to like um, have scratch boards and he'd do tapping and finger style and stuff like that. I think he, he he's, he's, he's more varied now, but uh, you know, he doesn't just do that. But yeah, Jack Jack Hague Music is his um, handle on on Instagram. Uh, and if Hague you is H A I G H. That's right. Yeah, he's on the uh, yeah. His, his music's on uh, YouTube as well uh, as Instagram, and I think it's 
on Spotify. Fran, any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts. Um, it's great that we are still all alive and well, and we're enjoying our own English parts of the world. <laughs> there is something quite human and beautiful of, you know, uh, finding solace in, in people who are having a harder time than you. But yeah, just make sure that that doesn't take over your life mm. and you seek out help if you have mental health problems. And yeah, it's like, yeah, bring it back to it's such a shame that Nick Drake felt ashamed to take antidepressants. Guys, like some of us aren't here on medication. I am for ADHD. Like, don't be. Don't be ashamed. Be be grateful that we're in the, the 21st century and it's easy to talk about this stuff. So there we go. Bye. <laughs> and there we go. That was our British singer-songwriter stroke 70s episode. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed that, why don't you like, can subscribe and review because that all helps us and uh, if you want to ask us about anything to do with the podcast or recommend any artists or guests please get in touch on twitter at ou_musicpod, on instagram at over underrated music pod and you can also find us on youtube or email us on over underrated music pod at gmail.com thanks again and bye bye